and welcome to the 14th episode of Basha's Thoughts. Today is a deep thought episode. Today I'm going to be talking about some thoughts I've been having around the origin of the universe and uh, questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? Or questions like, well, if the ultimate reality is not describable, why even try talking about it? I mean, you cannot describe it, so you cannot talk about it. And how is it that this not describable, unnameable, ultimate reality somehow gives rise to all of this multiplicity? How does that happen? Where does that come from? And what's, what kind of dynamics are involved in that? So, to start with uh, the question, is it even worth talking about this ultimate reality? Even if it actually exists, and even if this is our true nature, should we even talk about it? Well, if it is our true nature and our essence and that which we actually really are, then it seems to be kind of important and it might lead to something interesting. Indeed, the religions tell us that this is how you reach enlightenment. And enlightenment is a way of becoming free of all suffering. So it does kind of hold an interesting type of promise if it can be attained somehow. However, it is beyond thought. So should thinking about it help us in any way or should we just give up thinking about it? Well... Even though it is not thought itself, maybe thinking about it is a tool that we can use as pointers to help us along the way. That's the idea. But when it comes to the dynamics of the creation of the universe and how all of this kind of comes about, we can move to a group of people who kind of focus on this without maybe thinking about it that way. And that's physicists. They have their equations of motion, their fundamental theories of the dynamics of how our universe, physical universe, works. And it's very interesting if we go back to the beginnings of the quantum theory, there was a prominent person at that time who influenced very much how physicists came to see the quantum theory and interpret it, and that's Niels Bohr. So he did recognize that there is this weird type of holistic wholeness in some sense that is underlying everything with a complementarity, but he would call it unanalyzable. So he'd say, you know what? It's there. It's really weird. And we cannot analyze it. Why can we not analyze it? Well, because it is kind of holistic and non-reductionistic as physics tended to be most of the time. And so he says, we cannot ask about ontology anymore. Let's leave ontology be. Physics is now going to focus on prediction. So it becomes a predictive science. You have a set of rules Don't ask me what they mean, what they actually represent, what things actually are. Those are fruitless questions. 
So you cannot ask, where is the electron, for instance, unless you're actually measuring where it is. Then you say, oh, here it is. And every time you measure it, it will pop up somewhere. But in the meanwhile, is it here or is it there? Yes, it is here and there. And in a bunch of places in between. So this is weird. So it is as if there's this field of potentialities, but only one becomes real. So that seemed really odd. And this is why Bohr suggested to leave this holistic type of wholeness be. However, later on we have David Bohm. And he thought that ontology is interesting and should be pondered. And he started to investigate this idea of the underlying wholeness. And together with Basil Hailey, they wrote this really interesting book, um, The Indivisible Universe, which talks about physics from the perspective of wholeness, where you look at different mathematical structures and and at physics itself in different ways, and you realize that there is this underlying wholeness there somehow, indivisible wholeness. So it has these holistic properties, holistic in the sense of things are not necessarily outside of each other, like we usually see in our physical world, but things are kind of enfolded in weird ways. And he started to talk about this as the implicate and the explicate order and the dynamics of this implicate and explicate order. The implicate is kind of not manifest. It is very much there. It's just not physically explicitly manifested. And the explicate order is the order that we basically are used to seeing when we think about the world. Things are outside, and we can talk about them in a more reductionist way. And the implicate then sort of manifests the explicate. So it unfolds into the explicate and then it enfolds back into the implicate. So this is a kind of pulsation dynamics of these orders. Okay, so then the question arises, well, is this implicate order that has these holistic types of enfolded qualities, is this the ultimate reality? Is this what we're talking about when we say the nameless, infinite potential that we are, uh, our real true nature beyond everything? Is, is that it? Is it this implicate order? Well, no. <laughs> I would say no. I would say that that, our true reality, is beyond that. So we do have this implicate and explicate, and this is like a duality, non-manifest and manifest. But even though the non-manifest may have these qualities of not being manifest, <laughs> of being implicate, of being enfolded, of being holistic, and we kind of think about those types of qualities when we think about our ultimate reality, this 
is a part of duality still. The unmanifest and the manifest. Our true nature is beyond. Our true nature is beyond that. It is beyond the duality of non-manifest and manifest. So it's very interesting because here we kind of have a trinity. We have the implicate that gives rise to the explicate. And it's within the explicate that we see our world, our physical world. And then we have a, a dynamics of all of this. So the third aspect could be seen as a dynamics. All right, so this trinity is the expression or manifestation of our inner nature. Within this trinity, you have the implicate that becomes the explicate and then also has the dynamics. But this trinity, it appears all as one. And when we go back into its essence, its essence is our true essence, but it is not describable. However, the really interesting part is that this trinity, to some extent, is describable. And this is where I find that physics has an awesome opportunity to explore this dynamics. But of course, to explore this, physics needs to release the idea of being materialistic. Materialism is the <laughs> hard problem that we are actually facing because materialism says that there is a material universe out there independent of our true nature, independent of consciousness, independent of awareness. But of course, there's no way we can prove that because the only way we know about this physical universe is through our awareness. Take away awareness and you have no way of checking the factuality of, of your theories. So you cannot really prove this idea of an independently existing material world out there. And it's when you release that, that you can actually move beyond and you can actually start describing the dynamics of this trinity. And there's still a lot of room for description before you reach this ultimate, non-describable reality, which is the only real reality and the only one that really is. But we'll come to that. We'll come to how to see that. Okay, so this trinity, I find it super interesting because it kind of seems to lurk at the forefront of most religions that I have been able to look at a little bit. So I'm definitely not a scholar in any way when it comes to the different religions. But if you look at them, a lot of them seem to have this trinity when it comes to the description of the origin, you could say, maybe of the universe or the workings of the universe. So if you look at Taoism, for instance, in Tao Te Ching, in the book that is 
maybe the foundational book for it, you look at chapter 42 and there you have a description of everything. And the description, the description is basically this. It says that the unnameable created the one which gave rise to the two, which gave rise to the three. And it is from the three that all the multiplicity came about. Interesting. So there is this trinity, the one, the two, and the three. Super interesting. So, But what is this one, two, and three in Taoism? Well, of course, again, I'm not a scholar. I do not know. But intuitively, I see it the following way. The nameless gave rise to the one. The one is the implicate order type of place, you could say, <laughs> which is like that which has the potential of everything, and that gave rise to the two. The two are dualities. This is the world of dualities. This is like the explicate order where you have extremes, uh, and the opposites of things are, can be opposites of each other. But then you have the three, and what is that? The third part, what is that? Well, it is the dynamics. It is that which makes the world go around. It is that which is the dynamics of it, which gives it purpose, gives it a direction, a movement. Okay, um, interesting. What about other religions? Does, does, is there a trinity there? Well, in Christianity, we have the idea that God is or manifests as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's called one of the mysteries, great mysteries. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. These three, they actually kind of come about all at once at the same time, and yet they have an order. Because the Father, to be a father, you obviously have to have a son or a daughter, right? You have to have some kind of an offspring, otherwise you're not a father. So in a way, they all need to come about at the same time. The father and the son, for instance, they have to arise at the same time, but there is a sequence to it, because first you have to have the father in order to be able to have the son, yeah? So there is a sequence in a way, and yet they both have to arise at the same time. Super interesting, I think. So here again, what is the Father? Well, the Father is God up in heaven, non-manifest. What is the Son? The Son is, well, Jesus came to earth and he became incarnated. So we have the manifest. So we have the implicate Father, explicate Son, where you have duality, where you have opposites, extremes. And then... We have the Holy Spirit. What? What is that Holy Spirit anyway? Well, the Holy Spirit is power in action. This is the movement. This is the dynamics. And the Holy Spirit is often interpreted as the love for God's essence. Super interesting. Love. Bliss. 
love for God's essence. It gives us a direction. Follow your bliss, you might have heard. Bliss, ananda. This is that which makes the world go round. Love in the Holy Spirit as the movement. So this uh, trinity, of course, exists in a uh, bunch of other places. You have it in uh, the Vedas. You have Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Again, very similar trinity in that sense. You have it in other religions as well, but I don't know enough to be able to explain to you exactly how that works in the different, many other different religions. And you also have it in the Enneagram. If you've seen an Enneagram, it has a very interesting symbol. So the symbol of the Enneagram, I find super instructive because it's the following. So first, you start with a circle. And the circle represents your ultimate reality, your essence, the unnameable, which could be no thing, right? It's like the ultimate nothingness or no thingness because it's not a thing or the infinite potential or the totally holistic wholeness or the unnameable, right? I mean, you have so many different ways of naming it. And when you name it, you kind of give it a pointer. But of course, it is none of that. It is beyond. Okay, so this circle represents this unnameable ultimate reality that we are. And then inside of the circle, you have a triangle. And the triangle is such that each edge the outer part of the edge, there is a point there that is actually also a point on the circle, right? You can imagine that, a circle and a triangle inside where each edge of the triangle actually touches the line of the circle. And this, to me, is the most informative way of visualizing it in a geometrical way because... This is the trinity, three points of a triangle. But look, the three points, where are they? The three points are actually part of the circle. And this is exactly also what Christianity says. I mean, there are many different interpretations of Christianity, and not all uh, interpret things this way, but um, there are ones that do. And the interpretation is the following, that the Holy Spirit, or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of them are God. So God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. And if you look at it this way, as the edges of the triangle, yes, they are part of the circle. They are the circle. They are there. And they are all the same. They are all the same God. They are not three different gods. And yet, if you start moving inwards towards the middle of the circle, well, then they are no longer on that line, and they appear as distinct and different. This is super interesting to me. Also, if you look at Advaita, you have a description of our ultimate 
being, our ultimate reality. And that description says that your essence is Sat-Chit-Ananda. Sat means being, but it is pure being. Pure being means not being as something, not existing outside of something, not existing as a pen or as a person or as something. So it's not existing in that sense, it's being. This is exactly what you actually feel. Are you? Yes, I I am. And then you can add adjectives and you can add nouns and you can add descriptions. You can say that I am a person. I identify as a person, but actually then you realize, of course, that you're not actually a person. You are the witness of that person. And then you can go deeper and so on. So that way you come into this pure being that is not being as anything. So that's what the purity is. So that's sat. Then you have chit. Chit is pure awareness, consciousness, knowing. And again, pure means knowing, not knowing something. Oh, I know what time it is. No, it's just the knowing. And you have that as well. You are aware. So you know that you are, for instance. And then the third one is ananda, bliss, love, as the essence of your nature. And this is the driving force, right? Because this is that which later becomes your north. It leads you to being able to follow your bliss. It is that which indicates to you your preference. Because when you then are as something and you know it, then from that perspective, you create your preference. Well, now that I am a human being, I prefer this over that. I prefer to be on land than underwater. (laughs) I have a clear preference here. And then you also have feelings, the dimension of feelings. And all feelings, if you go back to their essence, you will find love. And it is this love and this love for your essence that gives you a direction, that gives you a purpose in this world of appearances or this world of explicit manifestation. So you have one, two, three, Satchitananda. All three, and this is again super interesting, all three are the same. Sat is chit and is ananda. They are all the same. But they appear as different when you sort of move away uh, or move into the world of manifestation. And so it's also interesting that you do seem to have this order, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first you have to have being, and then you can be aware of something. You cannot have awareness without being. If the awareness isn't, well, then you cannot have awareness, right? So there is kind of an order. 
and then bliss well you bliss only makes sense if you have being and awareness then you can have bliss right so this is the idea that there is kind of an order to them and yet they all are one in the ultimate reality but in the manifest reality uh, we can have manifestations of them that seem very different and these also are our ways of perceiving the world we perceive it our perceptions give us the idea of a presence of being our thoughts give us the dimension of time and our love bliss gives us the dimension of feeling and this is by the way i had a question uh, i got a question from someone about i think the third episode or something where i said that love is sort of the driver of the universe love is that which makes things go around how is this true well this is why and this is how because it is the driver ultimately it is one part of the trinity that we have okay so there's one more really interesting thing to note and if you can get it it's ah it's so different but super interesting and it's the following that I've been thinking about the idea that this circle right representing the ultimate reality of who we are the pure satchitananda this circle it cannot be different from the manifest reality what appears as the manifest reality to us here it cannot be separate right remember it is too holistic right it is intrinsically is it it cannot be separated in there's no way of separating it and in one well actually i think in probably three episodes we talked about ontology and there was one episode where we talked about the ontology and how being is lent to the manifest universe and then we talked about what is reality and things like that so being is intrinsic to the unnameable unmanifest reality the circle but then it expresses as different things in our manifest universe the idea that you cannot separate it so if you cannot separate this underlying nature of who we are here's a question if something cannot be separated from something else can you call it the cause i mean if you look about you and you ask yourself what is the cause of something well to cause something for instance you can look at the father and the son if you have a father and a son physically well then you can say well the father is the cause and the son is the effect 
and they are separate. The father, boom, gave rise to something apart, and there it is, and this is the effect. But if it never separates, if it, there, there is no way of separating, can you call it the cause? You can't. You can't really do that. And this is really profound, because what that actually means is that, so if you ask, well, so did this circle, this unnamed reality, did it cause this physical world? No, it did not. It did not cause this world, because cause only appears much later in the manifestation of the Trinity. Cause is not beyond that. So you cannot say, well, first you had the circle, then you had the triangle, and then you had the multiplicity. No, there is no cause. Super interesting. So it never caused it. So actually, this manifest universe that we experience never really existed anyways. It doesn't really exist. It doesn't really have being existence. Its being is that of the non-manifest, of the circle. The only reality is the circle. The only reality is the Satchitananda, the pure. That is the only reality. And this world is actually an appearance. It is an appearance. And so then when you ask, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, the answer to it is, it isn't. There isn't something. There is only no thing, the ultimate reality. Okay, so maybe this is enough for today. So these have been some thoughts that I've been having around the origin of our universe. And I believe that if we talk about the Trinity, then there is room for a lot of descriptions. We do not have to already now give up, like Bohr did in a sense, give up on ontology and just say this is it. So I believe that if physics is interested in pursuing the description of the dynamics from the perspective of Trinity, there is a lot of room for plenty of descriptions, but of course it has to move beyond the idea of materialism. So I believe that physics has a lot of room for magnificent descriptions beyond materialism. And I believe that pondering these ideas of what our essence is may be helpful. It may give us some pointers as to 
how to perhaps become enlightened. Of course, ultimately, we already are. We just have to recognize it. Thank you for listening today. I'll talk to you in another podcast episode. Take care. Thank you.